church, you would have noticed as you came in today, there might have been a pamphlet or an envelope in the pew near you. One of the things we do this time of year as Southern Baptist is cooperate in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And, and you may not know this, but more than 50% of what comes in in this one offering each year goes to support missionaries directly. And um, that's, that makes up more than 50% of their annual budget is what I meant to say. And so uh, as, as a church, I encourage you to pray about um, how God would use you as a zealous sender of those who give so much of their life for the cause of Christ that um, as we give, we, we give you these envelopes so that you can designate that or write it in the memo line of your, of your check. Um, but we, we want to begin this morning uh, thanking the Lord for the church and how the church answers the call to give and to uh, give our life for something far greater than ourselves, Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for those who have given so much, those who have sacrificed, those who have said to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we thank you for the church and how you've decided in your sovereign foreknowledge to use your church as the mouthpiece of salvation to those who are perishing. We pray for our church, that we would be zealous senders and zealous goers, and that we would be those who come alongside, that support and serve those who have given so much. And so, Lord, we thank you for those who are on the mission field right now. We pray for their safety. Lord, we pray that you would go before them, that you would open up doors of conversation even today so that they can share the good news. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. You're going to need them. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where Jonathan left off last week. Jonathan, great job. Thank you, brother. Um, I enjoyed watching online as I was on uh, vacation. Thanks for letting my family get away for, for a few days. And uh, Jonathan's just knocking it out of the park as he uh, took some of the best section of Scripture in all of uh, Philippians and focused us on Christ. And what he really did was said, the joy-filled believer is a Jesus-focused follower. So a joy-filled believer is a Jesus-focused follower. And as we uh, get to the verse 12 today, you're going to see that the first word, if your translation is the ESV like mine, is therefore. So what's that therefore, therefore? Well, we need to read backwards to see what it's there for. You follow me? So let's go back to verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, therefore. Therefore, as we get into these verses in just a moment, there's a lot of uh, groundwork we need, to, we need to lay. Because a few of these verses, as we get into this, can be quite uh, 
alarming or confusing. And so what I want you to see is that the Apostle Paul is writing the church, and he's writing the church to say, hey, if you're joy-filled and if you're a focused on Jesus, then you're going to be a joy-filled believer in, in a Jesus family member. So a joy-filled believer is a Jesus family member. And so what does it look like to be a Jesus family member? It means that we do things as a family. Well, it happens to be that time of year, isn't it, where you have to do things with your family? I said the word have to, right? And some of you have to do things with your family, and you're like, when are we doing this family Christmas, and when are we doing this family Christmas? And some of us have family traditions that have been there for years, and we don't know why they're there. Maybe it's one of these top ten that I have here. Number one, decorating the Christmas tree. Anyone decorated the Christmas tree already? Anyone decorate it before Thanksgiving? It's okay with me. You don't have to be worried just because of what Jonathan said last week. It's okay. We, you know, once Halloween, like, let's just go ahead and decorate the tree, get it up. Watching holiday movies together. Playing holiday music in the car. I've already turned on the Christmas music. Anyone else already turned on the Christmas music in the car? Driving around neighborhoods to see all the lights. Having a holiday meal the same time every year with the same people. I don't know if it's, if it's the same menu for you, but sometimes it is for us. Opening one present the night before Christmas. Yes. Can we just open one present the night before Christmas? And if you haven't caught on yet, the one present the night before Christmas is getting matching family Christmas pajamas. <laughs> it's always the Christmas pajamas the night before, and then getting that awkward family photo sometime during the Christmas season. Oh, let's take one more. Oh, you had your eyes closed. Let's try another one. Let's try another one. Setting out milk and cookies the night before. Or maybe the best one is attending our Christmas Eve service, which is at 5 p.m. this Christmas Eve, in case you needed <laughs> to know when it is. So a joy-filled follower of Christ knows that the church family, the Jesus family, is essential. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look around real quick and look at those who are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Look around. You know what? You're actually blood relatives. And you're like, really? I'm related to them? Yes. You're blood relatives. You're related by the blood of Jesus Christ. So look at one another and say, hey, family. You can do the little nod if you like. Hey, family. You are loved. You got to say that part too. Now, don't let me hang it. Hey, family. You are loved. In order to give us some groundwork, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen for you. Just flip over a couple pages. It should be real close to Philippians. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What a wonderful Christmas gift, right? Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. What a beautiful gift that we have 
that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not by works that anyone should boast, but we have now, though we were separated from God, have been brought into the family of God. Amen? But now in Christ, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so that making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Welcome to the family. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I would love for you to get to know him. Because it is not by works that anyone is saved. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone. So a joy-filled church family fearfully works out salvation. Now the reason I read these verses is because this is a difficult couple of verses we're about to look at in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so Paul says, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, we just read that it's not by works. So what does it mean when Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation? Well, he's saying, you've just put your focus on Jesus Christ. You've just looked at the example of Christ that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There was an obedience of Jesus Christ. And so when he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, continue to obey, even in my absence. Continue to obey. This is the idea of continued obedience in integrity. I like how Tony Dungy defines integrity, the former NFL coach. Integrity is what you do when no one is watching. It's doing the right thing all the time, even when it may work to your disadvantage. So what does Paul say? He says, listen, I want you to continue in your obedience, even if I'm absent. Continue to work out your obedience. Now, this is crazy, all right? These are some crazy statements, but I want you to follow me here. To be a Christian, to be Christ-like, you and I have to continue to obey the Word of God even when we don't want to. That's revolutionary, isn't it? Wow. We should write that one down. You and I, to be Christ-like, to be obedient, he was obedient even to the point of death, means that we're going to have to be obedient even when we don't really feel like it. Let's take it a step further. To be a Christian, to be Christ-like, you and I have to continue to obey the Word of God even when our feelings would tell us otherwise. You and I, to be Christ-like, need to continue in obedience even when no one else is watching. 
you and I, to be Christ-like, need to continue in our obedience even when everyone else around us says it's okay to be disobedient. I know those are revolutionary thoughts. But as he writes this letter, he's like, hey, even in my absence, continue. Continue. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's where it gets a little sticky for us. Work out salvation. Salvation comes in three parts, justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works that, it, that no one should boast. Amen? That's why we read that. So you're not working for salvation. You're working out salvation. The second part is sanctification. Sanctification is that act where God in his presence is daily molding you more and more into the image of Christ until one day you reach glorification. As Stephen Lawson says, he says, In justification, believers are saved immediately from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, they are saved progressively from the power and practice of sin. In glorification, they are saved ultimately from the presence of sin. As we talk about working out our salvation, Ligon Duncan says this, when we talk about justification, we're talking about God accepting us. When we're talking about sanctification, we're talking about God changing us. In this passage, Paul is not talking about how we're accepted with God. He's telling us how we're changed by God. Changed. He's working in us to will and to work. He's working in us. He's saying, work out your salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation. He didn't say work for your, sal your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Now here in little less than a month, some of us, are going to do that annual thing that we do. You know what I'm talking about. January's coming. Time to head back to the gym. And we did pretty good last year. Maybe we made it a few weeks, a few months. Maybe you're still going strong. Maybe you got a head start and said, I, I don't want it to be a New Year's resolution, so I'm going to go ahead and start now knowing that that's what my New Year's resolution is. I'm going to go back to the gym, and I'm going to start working out. <sighs> I don't like working out. Anybody else with me? You know why? Weights are heavy. Who wants to lift heavy things? No one wants to lift heavy things. It hurts. It takes dedication. It takes time out of your schedule. It's hard work. I don't want to work out. You know, a lot of us are the same way when it comes to our, our Christian walk. That's hard work. I don't want to work out. I don't want to try. I don't want to be, you know, devoted to something. I don't want to expend all that energy. I'm I'm pretty good. I think I'll just try to maintain. That's not what Paul says here. Maintain your salvation with fear and trembling. No. He says work out. Because God has done something that you are incapable of doing. He has saved you. It is a gift. He has given it to you. Take the presence of the Spirit that He's given you, the freedom that you have, the justification that you have, and begin to work it out as you continue in obedience. A lot of people love salvation and the fact that, oh, one day I'll get to go to heaven. But what about the process that leads to that moment of where we take the Word of God and we work out our obedience? Second Peter would say it this way. Chapter 1, 3 through 8. 
His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we've been given all things by God, his power for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's giving us all things, verse 5, for this reason, make every effort. You've been saved, not by works, but you've been saved for good works. That's why I read that in Ephesians. You're not saved by works, but you're saved for good works. So make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are, there it is, increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why we continue in obedience to work out our salvation? So that we can remain effective and fruitful in our sanctification. Wow. So you mean to tell me that if I just take what has been given to me, this gift, and I just sit on it, and I don't really work it out, if I just say, well, I kind of like being saved, I'm just going to maintain, if that's where I'm at, are you saying that I won't be effective and fruitful? Well, are these things, are these qualities increasing in your life? For them to work out in your life, it's going to take effort. Holiness and sanctification are opposed to earning, not effort. As Jerry Bridges says, we must believe that the pursuit of holiness is worth the effort and pain required to mortify the misdeeds of the body. He says this after the verse, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill it. Kill the things that are separating you from God. Put them to death. In order to put things to death in our life that we know are hindering our relationship, that are keeping us from being fruitful and effective, to put those things to death means that we have to convince ourselves that the pain and the effort that it's going to take has got to be worth it. So let me ask you real quick. Has, have you come to the point where being obedient, obedient to Christ, even when your feelings don't match up, even when everyone else is telling you you can be disobedient, even when no one else is looking, have you come to the point where being obedient is worth it? He's worth it. Is he worth it? It's exercising your salvation. It's strengthening your walk with continual obedience. Right now, you might want to say a prayer. Search me and know me. Find any fault that is within me so that I can confess it to you. Many times we lack the conviction in our life to work out our salvation, our sanctification, because we simply lack a desire to be obedient. We lack conviction because we lack a desire to be obedient. Now, we, we want to be obedient and avoid the big things, but oftentimes we become very complacent and comfortable with the little things. Holiness might be hard work, but I got good news for you. You ready for the good news? 
you're not the only one working. That's the good news. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's the one working in you? Christ. He's working things out. He's working in you. He has given you his spirit. He is enabling you to will to be obedient and to work in obedience. So he's actually working within us. As Spurgeon put it, what is it to be worked out? What is to be worked out must first be worked in. An unconverted man can work nothing out, for there is nothing in. You have faith? Work it out then. I like this part. Act like a believer. Work out your salvation. Act like a believer. Trust God in daily life. Be you Christ-like inasmuch as the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. We are to work out in obedience. Work out. Second thing is this, the joy-filled church family faithfully shines the light. Let's pick up there, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul comes to this part of, all right, if you're going to work out your salvation, let me tell you where to start. It doesn't start where you think he would start. He starts off with, all right, let's not grumble and complain and murmur and dispute. Is that usually where the church starts, the church family starts? Now, there might be a case where your family gets together for the holidays, and there might be murmuring that happens. There might be, what? There might be a little section of family in the kitchen just under their breath. Did you see how they cooked that turkey? You know? There might be some murmuring. There might be some disputing. In fact, our families might become split over things that are in the news and our understanding of those things. He says, if you want to be blameless, if you want to be a light, your witness begins without grumbling and disputing. Number two, your witness, your witness while shining as a light. And number three, you witness with a tight grip on the word of life. Let's take these. Grumbling and disputing. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may become blameless. Blameless is not sinless. It's not. Wouldn't it be nice if we were joy-filled people of God who didn't grumble and complain? Isn't that kind of funny, though, if you think about it? I'm a joy-filled follower of Jesus. I'm focused on Jesus, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to complain about. <laughs> Those kind of don't go together, do they? I'm a complainer, but I'm joy-filled. I'm a grumbler, but I'm joy-filled. I'm a disputer. I will, I will fight you, but I am joy-filled. What a witness it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ without grumbling and complaining and disputing. 
as we shine our lights. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see that our attitudes are as much of a witness of Christ's work in us as our actions. I'm going to say that again. A lot of times we focus on our actions. I'm going to shine a light. I'm not going to do this. 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 I'm going to do this. But what about being a witness with our attitudes as followers of Christ? Joy-filled attitudes. These are the be attitudes, right? Be attitudes. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. He begins this way, verse 2. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our attitudes are as much of a witness of Christ's work in us as our actions. And when our attitudes don't match our actions, we're not much of a witness because we are dimming the light rather than shining the light. May we be a people who are so joy-filled that we don't grumble and we don't complain, but we are blessed. As Warren Wiersbe puts it, blessed is an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that does not depend on outward circumstances for happiness. Those who are blessed have inner lives that are rightly aligned. Rightly aligned with Christ. So I'm going to say it this way, blessed attitudes precede blessed action. Blessed attitudes precedes blessed action. How is your attitude church family member in blood relation of Jesus Christ how's your attitude this Christmas season we're, we're early in blessed attitudes lead to blessed actions so he says verse 16 holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain holding fast we witness with a tight grip on the word of God hold fast has two meanings here it means to hold continually, to believe continually. And secondly, it means to hold out as an offer. I think both of these are essential for being a witness to being a light in a dark and crooked world. Number one, we have to hold on to God's word and believe it continually. We live in a world and we live in a culture and we live in an era where even Christians 
are no longer holding to the word, but allowing their, their grip on the word to be loosened. They're loosening their understanding of God's word. And when we loosen our understanding and our grip on the word of God, we will loose, loosen our obedience to the word of God. Continue in obedience. Secondly, it's to hold out. It means that we are those who realize it's not just that we need to keep a tight grip on this for ourselves, but we need to hold it out for others. This is the word of God. This is the truth. This is what will change your life. This is the story of Jesus Christ who came and who suffered, who took your place so that you could have life and have it everlasting. This is the story of the greatest gift that anyone has ever received, and you don't do anything to deserve it. All you do is by faith receive the gift of Jesus Christ, and he will then begin to work his will in you and through you and begin to work in you in such a way that you are able to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which means in awe and respect of the one who saved you. Wow. So we keep, it, we keep a tight grip on the word of life because it is our life, but we also hold it out to those who are perishing and we shine as bright in, in this world. We shine bright in this world. So those who see us say, you know what? They're blameless. They're never grumbling or complaining like everyone else. They have a joy-filled heart that I've not seen in anyone else. They must have Christ. Let's be the church family that holds out the word of God. Stephen Lawson says this, The word must be more than the way in which Christians live their lives. This only provides the platform by which they are able to testify with their mouths. No one ever was saved simply because they did all things without grumbling or disputing. No one could be converted without the word of God being brought to them. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. The church is, as we saw in the video, the church is charged with the task of holding out the word of God to those who are perishing. As John MacArthur says, just as right doctrine without right character is hypocritical and ineffective, so also is right living ineffective if believers are not proclaiming gospel truth. We are called to proclaim, to be lights in a dark world. And it begins with our attitudes, not just our actions. Finally, the joy-filled church family functions as fellow workers, soldiers, and messengers of Christ. Let me read these verses real quick as Paul points out two men who exemplify the very things we've been talking about. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all as he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill indeed he was ill near to death but God had mercy on him 
Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him and the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus had brought a gift from the church to Paul, and somewhere along the way he had been struck ill. We don't know what kind of illness it was, but it almost took his life as he was on the mission field. And so he wants to send back Timothy, and he wants to send back Epaphroditus so that their joy may be complete, their joy may be full, so they can be encouraged by these men who are working out their salvation, these men who are shining lights without grumbling and complaining, even though things don't always go their way. He wants to send these men back who are serving Christ in his church as a joy-filled family. So receive them in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What a beautiful picture of giving our life in humble obedience to Jesus Christ. A lot of times we think of giving our life, risking our life as putting a $1,000 bill or putting a blank check on the table. And a lot of times we do that in salvation. God, I'm all yours. Here's my life. But it's not a one-time thing, is it? It's actually working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's actually taking your life as one quarter or 50 cents or one dollar at a time. And each and every day you're saying, God, today, I'm going to spend my life on you. Little by little, even when no one's watching, I'm going to be obedient. Even when everyone else turns away from you, I'm going to hold fast to your word. Even when it's going to be awkward and people don't want to hear it, I'm going to extend your word to them because you are worthy. And I'm going to pour my life out as a drink offering because I am joy-filled without grumbling and disputing. Church, can that be us? Can we be a people of God, a family of God, a blood relation through the blood of Jesus Christ, of a people who work out our sanctification with obedience and love, shining a light as a witness with our attitudes so that many can come to know him? If you don't know him today, come talk to me. I'd love to tell you about my Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you work in us and through us. We thank you that it's not us, that we were just saved and we were saved for good works. That you would begin to work those things out in us in such a way that we would be a light in a dark world. Father, right now I pray that if there's some of us in here that need to repent, repent of things that we've not been obedient in, that you would draw that to our memory and that we would bow our knees to you in humble repentance because you are a forgiving God. Father, we pray that if we've been grumbling, murmuring, and disputing, that you would allow us to be joy-filled, that we wouldn't do those things, but we would be a light in a dark world. Father, we pray your blessings this year as we seek to honor and glorify you in each and every step of obedience. Help us to spend our life on you because you are worthy. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?